Welcome to a second service today. So glad you guys are here and just want to say hello to everybody who's watching in line in living rooms all across the fruited plain. Uh, welcome. Glad that you're uh, here this morning uh, with us. We're actually going to do something a little bit different for the next few Sundays. We're actually not going to be in a series. It's going to be a series of standalone messages. What's cool about that is as a preacher, sometimes we uh, run across passages or they're doing studies and, and want to preach on something, but it doesn't quite fit in a series. So we kind of tuck it away and say, hey, I'm going to save that for some time like this. So uh, we're going to be doing some, some standalone messages over the next few weeks and just uh, I just trust it's going to be a blessing to you as we uh, do that together. Today we're going to be talking about spiritual strength for the journey. Spiritual strength for the journey, uh, for the journey of life. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible, grab your phone, your iPad, your tablet, and uh, you can download the Oakwood app. Just search Oakwood Enid and then go to Sermon Notes and all the notes and scriptures and everything are right there for you. But that's where we're going to be this morning is in 2 Timothy Chapter 4. As we talk about the journey of life, I, I, I am, uh, would be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, there's so many times in the New Testament uh, where the Apostle Paul and other writers uh, talk about racing. They talk about, uh, you know, running a race in a, in a, in a marathon. And, and that's a great visual of what the Christian life is. I think some of us think, oh, the Christian life is going to be this 50 yard dash. You know, and we just run, and, we, and we, we, we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, and we run a little bit further, and then that's it. And then we, we just sit and park the rest of our life. But the imagery we get from Scripture is that it is this long race. There's this long process to it called sanctification that we're all under. That's the process of us becoming more like Christ Jesus, that sin would be diminished in our life. We'd be sinning less. We'd be glorifying and praising God more, worshiping Him more. And then we would look more like Christ so that when people encounter us out there in the world, they would actually see Jesus Christ in us and that would actually have an attraction, make people attracted to Jesus Christ, attracted to, to the Bible and to learning of who, who God is and what He has done for us as people. And so you see, it's not something that you uh, just start, it's something that you actually have to finish. And we're going to be, be talking uh, about that as we go through the message this afternoon. We, we, we Again, we see this throughout the New Testament. This isn't some concept that maybe if you've been in church for some time that you haven't heard of, but this concept of running. It takes training, right? It takes some training. It takes you uh, having the ability to push through some obstacles in life. In, in our passage today, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is talking to Tim, Timothy, one of his underlings in the faith, if you want to call him that. He's a, he's a younger Christian, and he's taken a high office. He's going to be a minister of the gospel. He is going to be a Christ follower to the end. He's going to be one of those guys that's going to be a world changer. And the Apostle Paul is telling him, hey, Timothy. You need to do some things. You need to pay attention to some things. And really, the whole letter of 2 Timothy is really that. But we're just going to focus on one verse today. And that's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. That's where we're going to land this morning. And, and, and in this verse, and you'll, you'll see it as we read it together here in just a moment, you'll see that out of this verse, there's a whole lot of application for our life. How do we finish strong? How do we have spiritual strength for the journey that's going to sustain us till the very end of our race. So we have finished our race. So remember, it's all about finishing. It's not about starting. Um, how many of you have ever seen a starting line at a race? 
You see a starting line, right? Lots of people at the starting line. How many have you been at a finish line, right? Is there just as many shoulder to shoulder, packed in, they're ready to go to the starting line? Do they come through the finish line that way? No. Why? Because not everybody finishes. We'll be talking about that later, and I've even got some, some pictures of that to, uh, to illustrate for you. But let's look at our, our text this morning, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. Let's allow the Lord to speak to us. This is what it says. As for you, and, and, and that you there is, is, is Paul talking to Timothy, but if we take a step back, it's even an implication for all Christians everywhere. Hey, as for you believers, as for you Christian brothers and sisters, as for you who say, I am a believer and I'm walking with the Lord and I want to finish strong in my race, as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. It's easy to write a sermon off of that, you know. Got your four points right there, right? Let's talk about the first one this morning where he says, always be sober-minded. Always be sober-minded. That has nothing to do with drinking. Let me just put that out there at first, okay? A lot of times if we hear the word sober, we think drunk, right? It has actually nothing to do with that. What he's talking about here in, in the translation in, uh, I think it's the NIV, translates it, translates it this way. He says, keep your head. Okay, be sober-minded. Keep your head. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Stay calm. Be watchful. You see this terminology all throughout the New Testament and all of his writings where the Apostle Paul is saying, keep your mind focused on the Lord. Be sober-minded. Pay attention. Be alert out there because, why would he say that? It's because so many people aren't. So many people aren't. They're not paying attention. They're distracted by the things of this world and a lot of times we can get distracted and we get off of course. If we're running a race, we're supposed to be headed toward what? We're supposed to be headed toward the finish line. But some people run off course and end up running aimlessly through life. I want to use an illustration today from Scripture from a man by the name of Samson. Maybe you've heard of Samson. His story appears in the book of Judges. really starts in, in chapter 13 as an angel appears to his parents and says, hey, Samson's going to be a special baby, and he's going to actually be chosen by God to take the Nazarite vow. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But he is, as he's born into the world, and in chapters 14, 15, and 16 of the book of Judges, we see this man that's chosen of God that has special characteristics and special strengths, his parents had angels appear to them and tell him what, was, what his life was going to be like and he was going to be chosen by God. I mean, he's special, right? How we all want to be, right? I mean, Samson's got pedigree, you know? If you know the story of Samson, you know that he has special abilities. The Bible records that he was not only just, just a strapping young lad, but that he was really, really strong, like supernaturally strong. Okay, like incredible Hulk type of strong. He, he was a muscle man, like literally gifted in that. And if you know the story of Samson, then a few things that might pop out at you is that he had long hair and that he had taken the Nazarite vow. And part of that vow, and I'm not going to go into all of it this morning just for the sake of time, but part of that vow was that you would never, ever cut your hair your whole life. You just, you, you don't cut your hair. And because of that, that was actually linked to his strength. And if you know the story at the end of his life, um, that uh, he is 
uh, had his hair cut. He loses his strength. They gouge out his eyes for all that he had done. He says, tie me between these two pillars. He gets his hair growth just enough to be able to pull down a whole temple. Loses his life in also uh, bringing down uh, these pillars from this temple uh, to a false god. It's an amazing story. And you think about this, you're thinking, okay, yeah, Samson, book of Judges, 14 and 15 and 16, I see all these things, but there's something that, that you need to draw on here. There's something that you need to know. He wasn't always sober-minded. He allowed some things of the world to get to him. And he had poor judgment because he wasn't being watchful. He wasn't paying attention. He wasn't staying calm in his spirit as well. If you know the story of Samson, most of you come up with a woman, right? It was Samson and Delilah, right? That's the one everybody knows about. But if you actually read the book of Judges, sad but true, for Samson there were actually three women. If you remember this, going back to chapter 14, three different women. There's that Philistine woman that he found beautiful and attractive and pursued her. That was the first woman. And then his, his second woman was a prostitute from Gaza. You might remember that part of the story. And then the third woman was the one that we most affectionately know as Delilah. Delilah is the one that had the hair-cutting incident. But it's amazing because Samson had everything going for him, chosen by God, all these things, and yet... He struggles when he doesn't maintain a sober-mindedness, when he's not watchful, when he's not watching out for what's going on around him. And so for most of us, we're like, yes, always be sober-minded. That's just good sound advice for life. Yes, for the Christian walk, especially for God's people, we should be sober-minded. Yes, but how? Here's one of the things, is you have to discipline your desires. You have to discipline your desires. That's how you live this out. That's how you walk this out. And because Samson could not bridle the desires, because he could not fight the mindset, because he was giving into temptation that encourages self-indulgence, which encouraged whatever felt good, do it, then it leads him down a bad path. You see, sometimes we're called to fight the mindset sometimes we're called we're called to fight the culture to go against the norm but we have to be sober-minded I, I wonder how this principle would be lived out if everyone in our culture was sober-minded right that, that when we don't agree with something that happens that maybe perhaps we could you know be the adults in the room and have a conversation about it there's been a lot going on in our country there, there there's violence and 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 there's protests and now they're you know, burning down things and, and going against law enforcement. And there's all these things going, going on. And I'm, I'm wondering if we're, are we in that moment being sober-minded? Are, are, are we in that moment thinking about how we could perhaps express ourselves in a different light? Express ourselves in a different way. To be able to not, uh, not be negative and, and to do all these things that, that you know, vandalism, that are, that are not only breaking the laws, just you're hurting other people. And yet Christians need to be the ones that shine the light of Christ into those situations. Because I'm telling you what, we're not going to have peace in this world, and we're not going to have peace in this country anymore until we have the Prince of Peace on the throne of our hearts, right? That's the truth. Live it out, church. As you go along your way, everywhere you go, with every interaction you have, you have an opportunity 
to show the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, the patience of Christ, the light of Christ, and to shine it into all those places. But if you want to be ready when those situations come, guess what, church? Paul would say, always be sober-minded. Always be watchful. Keep your head in all circumstances that come your way. Second thing this morning, what does he say? Go back to our passage. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Endure suffering. This is a part of the Scripture that uh, no Christian really wants or likes. But let me throw out another word for you and see if you would say, yes, I want that in my life. Do you want to be a person who perseveres? Do you like to be a person that is characterized by perseverance? If you say yes to that, yeah, I can roll with the punches. Yeah, I can handle a lot. Yeah, I can get through things I never thought I'd get through. I can face things I never thought I'd have to face. Perseverance. But there's something that happens to produce it. Which is why I think he says here to endure suffering. He makes it clear in Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 2 through 4. Romans chapter 5 in the NIV, verses 2 through 4 says this And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, as we should. But, he says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Ah, perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. Do you catch that? Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. If we want to have hope, if we want to have the end result, if we want to be able to endure the suffering and be characterized as a person of perseverance, then we're going to have to face suffering at some time in our lives. But how do we do this? How do we put it into practice? How do we endure suffering and look through all that we have to go through in this world where Jesus promised you're going to have trouble. How do we do that? One of, one of the ways is that we restrain our reactions. We restrain our reactions. You wonder with what's going on in the violence in many cities. I even heard uh, this morning that Oklahoma City last night had a little bit uh, of rioting about this. You know, uh, what if we restrain our reactions? And we don't overreact and we don't get highly emotional about it. We don't make decisions. You know, we actually sit back and we think. How can we express this in a different way? This is something I think that we all struggle with, whether you, know, you just have a temper tantrum, maybe you just lash out at somebody and yell at them when they do something wrong to you. Uh, maybe you, you're one of those people that holds re resentment and bitterness toward somebody that did you wrong. You just seem to be one of those people, I just can't let it go. Let's go back to Samson. Samson lived his life this way. Samson did go through a lot of stuff. Some of it was self-inflicted. Mind you, if you read the book of Judges, you'll see that. There were some things that he had to go through that he was probably frustrated with. Yeah, I get it. There were some times where he had to endure suffering. Sometimes caused by himself and sometimes not. But he lived in this constant state of resentment and bitterness because of the sufferings that had come his way. One time... <laughs> to make good on a bet, he killed 30 men just to get even on a, on a bet. Killed 30 men. Samson didn't keep his cool. Samson didn't restrain his reactions. And because of that, it was hard for him to endure suffering. That's one of the things that we have to do is be able to restrain the reactions. 
But I think I would offer you another one this morning too, is that we need to be serious about being with the Lord and spending time with the Lord. When the times of suffering come your way, you need to rest in the Lord. So many times I think that we try to do uh, other things. We try to, uh, sometimes we try to like take a vacation. I'm wondering how many of you have experienced this. How many of you have ever gone on a vacation, you had all these plans, and you thought, man, this is going to be great, it's going to fill me up, you know, we are going to the mountains, and we're going to go to the mountains, and we're going to go, you know, see sights, and go hiking, and uh, maybe, maybe you go in the winter, we're going to go snow skiing, it's going to be so much fun, it's going to be so restful and everything, or maybe you're like one of those people like, hey, we're going to the ocean, we're not going to the mountains, we're going to the oceans, we're going to the coast, and, and whether it's the Carolina coast, or you're going out to California, you go out there, and your intention all along is that you would get some rest and even for some of us for some of us if we're being honest it's like soul rest right it's like it's like i just i just want some time to 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 you know retool and to, and to pull back but how many of you have ever been on one of those vacations and you come back more tired than when you went anybody any honest people in the church okay yeah several of you you know how that is it's like you planned all this stuff you thought man this is gonna be fun we're gonna do this on Tuesday, we're going to do this on Wednesday and Thursday. And then, you know, and then you come back, you're like, you're even more tired than you were before. And guys, sometimes I think we need to cease doing and we need to remember being. Cease doing and remember being. Being in the Lord's presence. Gazing upon His majesty. But if we're going to endure suffering... And if we're going to be able to walk the Christian life, if we're going to be able to finish our race in the marathon, then we have to have this rhythm of rest in our lives. We need to be able to have rest so that the time that we need to restrain our reactions, we're not so emotionally drained, physically drained, maybe even spiritually drained, that we can't do it. This is something that's healthy. We see throughout Scripture, we see Jesus, it says many times, he would go preach to a crowd, and then it would say, like in the next paragraph, it would say, and then Jesus withdrew to a lonely place to be with his heavenly Father and pray. You see this pattern even with the apostles and the disciples as they're doing their ministry. They would go places, and then they would withdraw and, and pray. I have a unique opportunity coming up uh, for me this summer. I'm actually going to be uh, taking a sabbatical. It starts the, uh, the Monday after Father's Day, June 22nd, and it's going to be uh, seven weeks long. It's something that I really appreciate, uh, our church and our elders uh, extending that opportunity to me. And, and I'm telling you what, I'm looking forward to doing what I was just talking about and having this season of rest. Finding this, this season of, of gazing, gazing upon the majesty of the Lord and being able to cease producing and to focus on Eric just being again. And I think I, I, I'm excited because um, I know I'm going to get to experience some things. Now, I'm not saying I'm not, you know, taking a vacation. I'm going to try to spend some time with, you know, with my family uh, during that time too. Uh, but I'm really excited to just spend some time with the Lord. That when I'm reading the Bible and I'm studying everything, it's not for the next sermon. It's just, just to be with the Lord. I want to encourage you to do that too. I was in a ministry in uh, Colorado years ago, and, and one of the things I thought was so weird when I got to this church was they, they said you had to take a sabbatical day once a month, and I was like, what is a sabbatical day? I didn't even know what it was, and so I remember leaving for the first few months, and finally the senior minister got back one time, yeah, how was your sabbatical day? I said, oh, it was okay, what'd you do? Well, I took a nap, and you know, I don't know, laid around the house, and he's like, 
No, 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 no. He goes, what we encourage you to do is you're supposed to turn off your cell phone. You're supposed to not respond to email, do no work, and you're supposed to go be with the Lord and recharge. And just, just, just you and your Bible, go up in the mountains, go up to the church camp. It was a church camp about 15, 20 minutes away that was up like into the mountains uh, in Colorado. And so I was encouraged to do that. And, and it became something that, that was part of the rhythm of my month was I was looking forward to that day, that time with the Lord. Some of you feel like you couldn't endure any more suffering in your life right now, but I'm telling you what, it's probably because maybe you are struggling, not because you need a vacation or not because you need some time off. You need some time with the Lord. Notice in the scripture when it says you're supposed to rest, it says rest in the Lord. It doesn't say rest in the mountains. It doesn't say rest in the oceans. Rest on the beach. Rest with your little toes up, taking pictures on Facebook. So everybody's jealous. No, it doesn't say that. It says to rest in the Lord because when you do that, you're going to be able to endure suffering. He's talking about in our passage today. So, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. And then the next two could kind of go together, uh, but they, they also are their own individual thoughts. And he says this, do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Let's focus on the first one there, do the work of an evangelist. That means that you are a great commission worker. That means that you, the great commission, you take that serious in your life and that you share Christ. Listen to this, folks. Catch this. You share Christ with everyone everywhere. That's the work of an evangelist. The evangelist shares the good news about Jesus Christ with everyone everywhere. Many of you are back to work now. Tomorrow. You share Christ with all your customers and all your co-workers, everyone, everywhere. Especially, the Bible says, as we see the day approaching, the day of Christ's imminent return. Especially as we see with what's going on in the world. Pointing to the fact that Christ will return. All of these things happening and accelerating so fast. Pointing to his return, we have to prepare. And our job as Christians is to fill heaven with God's people. With all the lost people that have not made that decision, we present Christ to them. We tell them about our relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're like, I don't feel comfortable doing that, get right with Christ in your heart first, and then you'll be able to do what he's created you to do. To do the work of an evangelist and to share Christ's love and the story of how he saved you and how he can save them with everyone. Fact is, there are probably people in your life, relationships in your life, that you're the only person that God has in their life. You're the only godly person. You're the only Christian. And God needs you to share the gospel and to love on that person. Do the work of an evangelist. And the last part is to fulfill your ministry. You know, I believe in an every member ministry in God's church. That every member is called to ministry. Ephesians chapter 4. Right there in the middle of Ephesians chapter 4, it says, it states for us that we are all part of the body of Christ and that everybody plays an important part. And then when the body of Christ is healthy and functioning as it comes together and everyone does their part, that it grows why? By doing what we just read above, by doing the work of an evangelist, by fulfilling the ministry, serving others, 
and their felt needs, showing them the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And in that, Christ's church is built up. Do the work of an evangelist and you fulfill your ministry. And you may say, well, well, I don't understand. What is my ministry? This is what you signed up for when you accepted Christ as Savior and Lord. You said, yes, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. And yes, Lord, I want you to be my Lord. Lord, translated in the Greek, is kurios. And it means master. One who has master over you. One who is the boss of your life. He is your king. He is your Lord. And you do what the Lord says. The Lord says to fulfill your ministry and to do the work of an evangelist, that you follow Jesus, you treat his commands as commands, not options for the Christian. Oh, it's just an option that I serve others. No, it's just an option that I would love one another, serve one another. No. It is the commands that are not options for being a Christian. And in that, the very essence of you living out Christ in your life is a strong and powerful witness and testimony for the gospel. The Christians living the life that God has called them to actually enhances the gospel and makes it attractive to the lost world. And man, do we need some of that today in our culture, in our society, and even in God's church. That Christians would live the life they're called to. Doing the work of an evangelist, fulfilling their ministry. How do you do this? You say, yes, yes, I get it. How? You keep your commitments to the Lord. Because when you committed your life to Jesus Christ, you made a commitment to be in God's family and to join God's army and to live for Him. You said goodbye to the past. You pressed on, running your race. Your marathon began at the starting line there. You pressed on to what was ahead. You left the past behind. You are a new creation in Christ. The old has gone. The new has come. And we pursue that with all that we are how always be sober minded endure suffering do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry calling and if you do these things you will find that you are very strong for life's journey to finish your race you'll be strong You're not going to be one of those that crawls across the finish line. You're going to be on your feet running at a sprint full force. You will not just finish to say that you finished. You will finish well. But it's a long race. How how many people in here have ever run a marathon? Crazy people? Ain't crazy people in the room? All right. A few crazy people. 26.2 Miles. How many of you have done a half? You got some halves in here? Cool, about the same number of the halves. You people are crazy. So now I, I got to tell you, I have a runner in my family, okay? I have a runner in my family. That is my wife. Uh, she has loved running as long as I've known her. Uh, early in our marriage, uh, we were living in Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, she decided that she wanted to run a race down there called the Jingle Bell Run. I don't know if any of you are from Dallas-Fort Worth or familiar with that, but it was right before Christmas, and it was just a 5K. And I just remember telling her, it's just a 5K, I want to run this, and I was like, okay, get after it, running people. 
you know, I ran on a basketball court, but we had purpose, okay? <laughs> it just, wasn't just running, you know, it was like running up and down to put a ball in a basket, but, you know, so anyway, but, but she, no, she, she was running, and I remember uh, being in downtown Fort Worth, it's like any downtown, there's these skyscrapers, and I got a map, I'm trying to find her now. I know now in a race, you can track them on GPS, you see what street they're on, and you can go find them, and you cheer them on here, and, you know, you couldn't do that back then, okay? This is like pre-GPS, okay? And so I have this map I'm trying to find. I just want to see her at some point in the race, right? I don't want to just see her at the finish line. It's like I want to be able to stand on the sideline, go, Amy, you know, run, you know, run, Forrest, run. Um, but anyway, but, but she's running, and she, so she's running with a group, just a, just a small group of people, which was amazing because there were like thousands at the starting line. But now it's just a small group of people. She rounds this corner, she's running toward me, and I see on her right leg, like, it's red, and I'm like, I realize as she gets closer, there's blood. I mean, blood is, like, gushing out of her knee down her leg. And so I'm like, you know, what do I do? I got to put a tourniquet on it. I mean, she is hurt. She just keeps running. I'm like, so I get beside her, like, babe, what happened? And she's like, I fell. I was like, okay, well, step out here. Let's clean it up. Let's say, no, I'm finishing. It's like, no, come, come, let me look at it. No, no, no. I'm going to finish. I'll, I'll see you at the finish line. And she just keeps running, you know, beast mode. And, and, and but you know, as, as her husband, we were newlyweds. We've only been married about two years. You know, I was very concerned that I was not taking good care of my wife, you know. So anyway, we meet at the finish line. Um, everything's fine. She probably still scarring from that fall, but uh, she fell and she got up and she finished. And one of the first things I took away from that little 5k, the jingle bell run was there's not as many people at the finish line as there was at the starting line. Well, so uh, fast forward three kids, and a few years later, and Amy gets this crazy idea, I want to do a half marathon, 13.1 miles, and I want to run the whole thing. I don't want to walk it. And I'm like, okay, now, now we're talking a little bit crazy, you know? <laughs> it's like you're going to run 13.1 miles, and don't stop running. You just, just, just run the whole, whole time. Yeah, so she starts training. And she's, she's, she's amazing. Um, and she starts training, doing all this stuff. And I got some pictures from her first half marathon, because she's so crazy, she did it twice, okay? Okay, but first half marathon, I got some pictures here. I, I want you to notice, just stare at it for a second, let your eyes adjust, okay? That is the starting line, and it says there at the, at the top is a marathon-sized party. And this is how it is at these races, okay? They have, like, uh, confetti being blown into the air by a machine. And literally, if you see all the heads there, those are all the runners. They are packed in by the thousands. That race, her first race, had somewhere between 14 and 15,000 people. That's crazy. And they're all in these corrals, and they're like this. You know, I don't know how we'll do races now because, you know, social distancing. But, uh, you know, but they're all in these corrals like this, and it's like, oh, you guys are going to run, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, but look at the fish. I go to the next slide here. These are more shots. So this is on the other side of the starting line there, okay? And you, and you can see, you know, it's like all these people coming through by the thousands. They're all starting in. Go to the next slide. Here's just another shot of the crowds. Notice Jesus was running that day over in the bottom left corner. Do you see Jesus? Jesus was at the race. Couldn't believe it. Okay, anyway, go, go to the next slide here. Um, and so Amy is in white, and she's in the middle of that pack. Go to the next slide. She's coming across the uh, starting line. This is not the finish line, starting line. You see, she's, it's cold that day, so she's in her runner stuff. Great form there, babe. And uh, there she is, running by me. I got those shots. Now, this is how it is at the beginning of the race, okay? Tons of people, thousands of people. Very exciting. All this. Now we'll look uh, later in the race, right before the end. Whoa. I remember when she was coming down this hill, and I was like, where did all the people go? Now, the shadow there is like a shadow of a building because they're in downtown Tulsa. But man, it really thinned out at the end. 
Uh, interesting, I was looking at statistics this week, uh, statistics on races and stuff. Not everyone finishes these races, you know. But there's about a 15% atrophy rate due to injury or they just can't go on anymore. Uh, only about 85% actually make it across the finish line. And of that 85%, sometimes only about 70% make it across the finish line that day. <laughs> yeah, they didn't run it. Now, Amy did 13.1 in like two hours, okay? I mean, just like, yeah, I can't even fathom it. But this is how it looks like as you're getting close to the end of the race. It thins out and you realize there's not as many people here. And I remember when she actually crossed the finish line, she actually crossed the finish line by herself. There wasn't even a pack of people around, just like by herself. There, there she came across the finish line. Here's a, here's a shot of her immediately following. She's got her sunglasses on. If you notice the banana and oranges in the right hand, the left hand or the arm, they have that aluminum foil. I don't get that, but, they, you know, you wrap them in aluminum foil so they don't overcook. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> you wrap them in aluminum foil so I, I know what it is, body heat and all that. But, but there she is, and then there's one more shot. This is about 30 minutes later. She's got her color back, and... Uh, yeah, 13.1, got her finisher medal. And, you know, it's great for all of us to say, oh, man, I'm starting the race. I'm starting the race of faith with God. I, I'm a starter. So many people are good starters. They love starting, and some of you feel like that's, that's the story of your life, right? It's like I start, and, you know, I didn't, and then I, well, I'm going to start this. I'm going to do, oh. Some of you New, New Year's resolution people, right? You started in January. I started this and but just like as in so many things in life it's not not about really about how you start but how you finish do you finish and cross that finish line because what's amazing in in the book of second timothy in just the next few verses past what we read today he talks about running the race of faith that he has finished the race and he has kept the faith and what's in store for him as he goes to heaven someday is a crown of righteousness, which will be given to all of those who have longed for Christ's appearing. They have lived their life. They have run their race in such a way to bring glory to God. And they made it. They finished the journey. They didn't end up in the middle of the race going off into left field and just running aimlessly some other direction. They remembered where they were going. And they allowed God to guide them and to be with them and just keep focused on Him every step of the way. And you could say, yes, but how? Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering because it's going to come your way. Jesus promised in this world you will have trouble. There's going to be suffering there's going to be grave injustices in the world. Prepare yourself and be sober-minded. Do the work of an evangelist so that all of your family and all of your friends and that everyone that came into contact with you could not say, you know what? I knew him for 25 years. I never knew he was a Christian. Never mentioned Jesus, church, anything to me. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry by fulfilling the commitment that you made to Christ. And to finish strong. Isn't that what the coach would tell you at the end of the game? It's the fourth quarter. There's only a couple minutes left. Dig down deep and what? Finish. God wants you to finish your race strong in him. That you would be strong for the journey. But to do that, you've got to walk with him.
You have to have that relationship with him. I encourage you this morning, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, to talk to somebody after the service. Share what you're struggling with. Grab a brother or sister that you know that's, that's in the room. If you're online, reach out to us. Shoot us an email. Fill out the Connect card. Let us know so that we can help you on that journey with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we know that the Christian life and the Christian walk is not easy. Just as a marathon is grueling, it's a grueling race. Lord, we know that with you, all things are possible. We know that with you, if we go your way, if we actually read scripture like today, and we don't just merely hear it, but we actually put it into practice, that it's going to go well with us, and that we can be people who have strength for you in times of need. Lord, our world is so broken, and, so, and there's so much pain, and there's so much hurt, and division, and even violence nowadays, Lord. We need the Prince of Peace, and we need to be the torchbearers for that. We need to be your people to go out into our community and to share your love and to shine your light, to be, as we talked about a few weeks ago, to be salt that makes people hunger and thirst for more of you. God, that's what we need, more of you, so that we can finish our spiritual race in the strongest way possible. God, I just thank you for loving us. I thank you for the grace of Jesus. I thank you for the forgiveness offered through the cross. I pray, Lord, today that if there's anyone that hasn't made that decision, that they would start their race today, but start it by keeping the end in mind that someday we would all cross that finish line together. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.